This is a Federal News Network podcast. Forensic algorithms have become a routine tool for federal law enforcement agencies. The Government Accountability Office finds the algorithms are used to tie crime scene evidence to individuals with fingerprints or DNA on record. Now California Congressman Mark Takano has introduced a bill that would give defendants access to the source code of those algorithms. Representative Takano joins me now. Good to have you on. Pleasure to be here. So what is the concern here, first of all, about these algorithms and the way they're used by federal and perhaps state and local law enforcement also? Well, the principal concern is about due process rights of criminal defendants. And in cases, forensic algorithms may be the only evidence that is introduced in court against a particular defendant. And defendants have a very unclear ability to cross-examine that evidence before them. Now, a forensic algorithm is not a human being. It's not an expert uh, that can be put on the stand and cross-examined and their expertise analyzed and put before a judge and a jury and, and questioned. A forensic algorithm is source code. And in cases where defendants have asked for that source code to be made available, and to be shown how probabilistic genotyping works with a forensic algorithm, courts have often ruled against them and said, no, you do not have a right to examine that code in deference to the software developer's proprietary interests, uh, financial interests. And so in effect, what I see happening here is that the profit-making proprietary interests of software developers is trammeling upon the due process rights of criminal defendants. And this goes against, I think, um, a core principle of our justice system, which is based on an adversarial adversarial system where counsel for the accused has a robust ability to question and examine evidence brought against the defendant. So the issue basically is these algorithms act as black boxes and give out an answer and says, yes, this sample of DNA is probably, you know, 90% probability that person that we have on record. But as a black box, unless you can look inside it, you can't really verify law enforcement's conclusion. That's correct. And more than that, even the access to the testing, how these programs are tested, all of this is in the proprietary uh, domain. And the defendant already has a steep hill to climb in terms of, especially if you're a low-income defendant, being able to get independent testing of this equipment to look at the data, the underlying data, and to just understand how the source code processes all of this information. So we think there's also a role for the federal government. My bill would amend Article 5 of the Federal Rules of Evidence so that trade secret privileges cannot be used by the developers or owners of forensic algorithms in order to prevent defense access to evidence that they would otherwise be entitled to. It amends Rule 16 of the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure to require a report to the defense on the output of forensic algorithms used in their case that includes the name of the company developing the software, the name of the lab where the test was run, the version of the software used, uh, documentation of procedures followed by the lab, and other information deemed necessary to include on NIST standards. And now we refer to NIST here, which is the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Here, my act would direct NIST to establish a computational forensic algorithm standards and computational forensic algorithms testing program. 
but also requiring NIST to collaborate with outside experts in forensic science, bioethics, algorithmic discrimination, data privacy, racial justice, criminal justice reform, exonerations, and other relevant areas of expertise identified to the public trust. And further, we would direct NIST to address the potential for disparate impact across protected classes and, and standards and testing. And it requires public input into the standards and testing program and requires available documentation of resulting standards and testing of software. Essentially, the ability of defendants to be able to do all of this is prohibitively expensive. We need a government agency to help create a level playing field for defendants and prosecutors. Right now, I see it as too too much weighted in favor of prosecutors and these software developers uh, who, as of right now, may or may not be required. Well, they actually aren't required to open it up. The judges have sided with their proprietary rights. And I believe that uh, Congress needs to sort of uphold the constitutional due process rights of defendants. We're speaking with California Representative Mark Takano. What about uh, a provision in there to say if the opposition, if the defense can see the source code and so on, that they are obligated not to disclose it further? So at least the proprietary interest of the vendor is preserved, and yet the access is there for people that need it for purposes of defense. You know, it, I don't know if we include that in the bill, but you know that's certainly something that could be examined as the bill goes through hearings. And I'm very pleased to tell you that the Science, Space, and Technology Committee um, has indicated interest in holding hearings. And this is certainly something that we can see as is workable. But the bottom line is that software companies must contend with a bedrock principle of due process. It could be the case that we find out that it's an unworkable standard to impress upon the defense. In any case, what must be upheld is the ability of the defense to examine, question, to question the validity and to be able to test software. And do you have Republican co-sponsorship or interest or some agreement that on a bipartisan basis that this something could happen? We're in the process of trying to reach out to Republican offices. I am optimistic that Republican interest will be peaked. I'm unabashedly a progressive liberal Democrat. But I find that uh, when we posted about this on my social media, many of my detractors, some might call them trolls, said, this is the first time you've done something that I agree with. Because Many of my detractors view themselves as defenders of the Constitution and invoke the Constitution frequently. And I think um, this topic piqued their interest and folks that are normally very hostile, antagonistic were like, you know, I, I got comments like, well, this is interesting that you would do this. So it's a topic upon which I think many on the left and the right can come together on. And do you have any sense of reaction from the FBI at all? I mean, they were cited in the GAO report as the primary user of this type of uh, evidence. Well, well, let's talk about that a little bit. I haven't heard any formal staff-level responses from the FBI. I would say that the FBI, ultimately, in the law, you know, in its in its long-term interests, has to also be concerned about the validity of these tests. You know, we've seen technology, the aura of technology, tantalize and capture law enforcement before, whether it was lie detector tests, um, lie detector tests captured 
the attention of law enforcement until they were proven to be unreliable, right? I think we have to always guard against the notion, the sheen of technology, the aura of technology, and we have to pull back the curtain somewhat to show people and the public this is a human-made technology and it's subject to human-made vulnerabilities and biases that might be built in. But let's get back to the GAO report. The GAO report you know, was requested by my office. We've got a preliminary installment, the first installment of the report, which is a 3,000-foot view of the technology. It's a primer, basically, uh, explaining how such technologies work. And we're expecting a second installment, which brings with it GAO's sort of observations and analysis of how it applies to policy, and they're going to actually issue some recommendations. I got to say, GAO has done a remarkable job of hiring a core of experts in science and technology and has this capacity to take on a topic like this. I've long been an advocate for restoring the Office of Technology Assessment in the House of Representatives, precisely because we need greater capacity to take on topics like this. They're often obscure and esoteric, mainly because members have limited staff capacity to be able to take on these topics. And I think I'm grateful that the GAO has built up this unit within their agency. Um, I think it needs to also be complemented by a congressional arm, uh, and they can work hand in hand. But I'm I'm eagerly waiting the, the, the second part of this report from the GAO. Democrat Mark DeCano represents California's 41st District. Thanks for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for your interest. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. A financial plan isn't just about money. It's about what matters most to you, like protecting your family, supporting your community, and building a legacy for future generations. At Northwestern Mutual, we start with a conversation about the life you want to live now and years from now. Whether you're paying down debt, saving for college, or planning for retirement, we have an eye on your bigger picture. Get access to our financial expertise at harlem.nm.com. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.